Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sitting just to the right of me is Brad Young of Harris Style Fisher and Young. He'll be hanging with me today. Chris Ranji is out and about. I'm Amy Mark Scores. Brad, thanks for joining me on this Friday. I hear you a lot on the evening shows, like at yes. your service. I, I do that, and I sat in last week with Chris when mm-hmm. you were gone, and and we had a we had a very very good time. Good. How how was it working with that guy? Well, you know what it's like. You have to do it every day. I do. I mean, we we had a fantastic time. Uh, we had uh, a football picker uh, who you know the the listener mm-hmm. picker who was amazing. Yeah. And uh, and so he was uh, he was stunningly good. Was that? Was that last week or two weeks ago? Or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Yeah, yep. yeah, he was good. And actually, speaking of our no prize pick'em, Colonel Jeff McCausland, the CBS News military analyst, he will be our celebrity guest picker today. Fantastic. And then Eli from Belleville, he was also a great picker. He won. So because you don't really win anything except for a chance to hang out with us again, yeah, Eli will be returning. Our Ad- undying admiration. That's right. Exactly. Our admiration. Okay. I'm so glad I have you here because you're you're a lawyer, Brad. And there are some free speech versus harassment debates going on right now earlier in the week. The presidents of Harvard University, MIT, and University of Pennsylvania testified in front of Congress about the raging anti-Semitism on those campuses, uh, specifically Jewish students being harassed, yelled at, followed on online platforms, whether it's student chat platforms, you're seeing threats, calls for violence. We A lot of us saw the videos at Cornell where Jewish students had to be locked in the library and yes. they were told, well, you can hide in the attic because there were protesters banging on the glass windows, banging on the walls. Well, here is some of the testimony. Now, this one is from the president of University of Pennsylvania, uh, Liz McGill. And what she said when questioned by Representative Elise Stefanik uh, in front of Congress. Specifically calling for the genocide of Jews, does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. So you have the president of Penn saying, well, it depends on the context. Here was Governor Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania after those comments were made public. That was an unacceptable statement from the president of Penn. Frankly, I thought her comments were absolutely shameful. It should not be hard to condemn genocide. So, again, we're looking at you. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. University presidents and not just colleges. These are some of the most prestigious schools in the country that in my opinion are failing profoundly a very easy test of moral clarity. From a legal perspective, Free speech versus harassment, where is the line and where do you think these, if you do think they failed, where did these presidents fail? Well, here's where, here's where I think they fail, Amy. It's in this context. For the last several decades now, we have been told that there are things that you cannot say on campuses. Yet at the same time, we've been seeing, for example, uh, uh, if, if a conservative, if Matt Walsh goes to Harvard to speak— then cars are lit on fire, trash cans are set ablaze, there is protesting until they get uh, shunned and kept off of campus. So we've had this precedent now uh, at on college campuses for 20 years where basically the status and the and, and what we're seeing is is that it's okay to block speech if we do not agree with it on campus. And that's it's been allowed to happen. We've seen that happen. Now there's a different legal standard, but I mean, from uh, in, in terms of of methods and practice, we, we colleges and universities have established if we don't want to hear something, then we feel it's okay to shun that speech, even though obviously First Amendment says otherwise. So now what we're seeing is is that is ratcheted up to the next level, which is not only will we uh, uh, we don't want to hear things we don't want to hear, we won't even condemn calls for genocide because we politically support those who are making those statements. And to me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a straight First Amendment guy. Uh, let it all out. I don't think we should be censoring any speech, certainly not on campuses. The, the government shouldn't be uh, censoring speech. That's why I have equally condemned the Biden administration for the uh, Mis- Disinformation Bureau, and I've equally condemned him and uh, Greg Abbott in Texas and DeSantis in, in Florida for trying to mandate what social media companies must say or must allow. We don't want the government in fearing or infringing on free speech, and yet they've created this double standard, and now they're living with this double standard even when it hurts. When we talk about free speech, too, There is a difference between a public forum, a public park uh, paid for by tax dollars versus a private university. Harvard can enforce its own code of conduct in the sense that our KMOX airwaves, it's not a free speech infringement if we have a caller who is saying conspiratorial or crazy things or offensive things. And we say, no, you don't have the right to say this on our airwaves. Does Harvard? Harvard have the right to say we have a code of conduct, a moral code. We're not going to allow this. Well, see, here's the here's where it differs. Even though Harvard is a private university, they accept federal dollars. And so in that, because they accept enormous amounts of federal dollars through college loan programs, student loans, and so forth. So at that point, there are rules and regulations for the Department of Education 
that hinge or make it contingent on the funding that that funding that comes from the federal government is contingent upon even private universities abiding by first amendment rules so even though they're private because of that federal funding it makes it a different situation than say a private company or even a social media company so then obviously then respecting free speech rights but they do have their own code of conduct which prohibits har- harassment assault calls for violence, how are the leaders in the universities, the faculty, not realizing harassing Jewish students or vandalizing Hillel buildings or calling for the genocide of Jews? How are they not interpreting that as a violation of their own code of conduct? Boy, you'd have to ask them because to me, from my perspective— I don't see how you can be, and a lot of these college professors, if you were to ask them privately, I'm sure they would say that discrimination is wrong because they're on the forefront of advocating for inclusion, for diversity, and for equity on campuses. But somehow, and this is the point I was trying to make a moment ago, Amy, somehow that emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion has a political angle because... Uh, they're, they're not looking for uh, philosophical equity, philosophical diversity, philosophical inclusion. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for that because they're excluding conservatives from campus. And I see this as an outgrowth of that same idea because generally college campuses are extremely progressive. And when you have that extremely progressive mentality, then just as there is the exclusion of of conservative viewpoints. There's also the inclusion of progressive ideals. And right now, progressivism supports Palestine and, and is against Israel. So that that uh, philosophical paradigm, which excludes conservatism, is the same philosophical paradigm, in my mind, that allows for the inclusion of things that the vast majority of Americans would mm-hmm. say, that's discrimination. That's harmful. If you call for the—if people are calling for uh, the genocide of Jewish people and the Jewish land, the, the vast majority of people would say that's wrong. But to the progressive mindset, like we see right now coming from Cory Bush and Representative Tlaib and others, it seems to be okay. Yeah, that reminds me of the Thomas Sowell quote, uh, the economist, conservative economist Mm -hmm. that said demographic diversity conceals ideological conformity. And that's that is what you see at Harvard. And and I do pay attention to Ivy League schools and academic institutions. They they do have an outsized impact on our country. It's where you get so many legislators and the, the Supreme Court and not just politicians, but people who will be running businesses, people who have uh, philosophical endeavors, they will have an enormous impact on our country. And I I just got, I think it was a Gallup poll, where 2% of Harvard's faculty identifies as conservative. 2%. That's pretty small. Um, And so when you look at these, the presidents who are saying that, you know, we stand for free speech and we also the safety of our students is foremost. Their, their language isn't showing that. And I also think if this were a different group, if these if these protesters, for whatever reason, let's say thought that 
women. They didn't like women. Women were committing crimes. Yes. And they were marching around harassing all the female students or female students were locking themselves in the library and being told that they could hide or the female uh, you know, the sororities were being vandalized or there were chants to kill females. I mean, that would be that would be stopped immediately. Exactly. And that gets to my point a moment ago, which is that that there is a philosophical backdrop. So some groups were going to be OK with them being silenced and harassed. Other groups were going to allow them to continue the harassment because from the university standpoint, they agree with the protesters philosophically. He's Brad Young. I'm Amy Mark Scores. Debbie Monterey is going to join us next. We have a, a little bit of a shift here. She has a gift-giving dilemma. This is the oh. Chris and Amy show on KMOX. We have a couple of good things in the studio. Brad Young, Debbie Monterey, and uh, here's your chance uh, to win Def Leppard tickets. So you have a chance to see Def Leppard at Bush Stadium on July 6, 2024. If you love Def Leppard, uh, let's do it right now. Let's do caller number five. If you are caller number five at 314-436-7900, 314-436-7900, you have a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Def Leppard. I think Journey's going to be there. Is that what we were saying? With Journey at Bush Stadium on July 6th. So Good luck. And they never come to St. Louis, so that is really exciting. Is that true? No, they're here every year. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just having a college, high school, college flashback. Uh, Because when I was in college, uh, yeah, Journey, Uh Def Leppard, Mm -hmm. those were were all the concerts we went to. But I I like Journey, and they've got that singer that they got years Mm -hmm. ago from the Philippines, who, like, sounds like the original lead singer of Journey. It is crazy. He's Steve, really Steve good. Perry. Yeah, Steve Perry. That's who he sounds yeah, like. Yeah, Steve Perry has an amazing voice. He does. And he, I still, when I'm driving around, if a Def Leppard song comes on the radio, I admit I do turn it up. Really? Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, Absolutely. Love Def Leppard. Uh, is Steve yeah. Perry still with us? He yes. is still with He's us. Thumbs up. I, that's always my thumbs up means they're alive. Thumbs okay. down means they're dead. Uh, my wife and I play this game all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Steve Perry is thumbs up. So I don't mean this disrespectfully. I'm just saying because... You don't often have Supreme Court justices retire from the bench and then live a very long time. I honestly thought Sandra Day O'Connor had Mm -hmm. already passed away because it's a pretty unusual situation. But in her situation, she retired because her husband was was on hospice and she took the big step of saying, I'm going to help my husband. I'm going to be with him through this time. And so that's when she stepped away. It was due to her husband's health, not her her own. own. So that's why she was with us for so much of a longer period of time after she retired. Yeah, I can't think of another time that that happened. But I thought I, the same thing about Henry Kissinger when he passed away. Yeah. yeah. I thought, oh. He's I, still around? Right. What, 100? Every yeah. year. He I, shares my birthday. Does so. he? Oh, mm-hmm. does he? Wow, that's, that's good. Well, he went to China this past year. I mean, at oh, 100. Oh, really? He, wow. He did a trip to China, met with uh, Xi Jinping, and, uh, and, and after his 100th birthday. So, you know, that guy was getting it done mm-hmm. in triple yeah. digits. That's a miserable flight for a Ugh, 50-year-old. Right. Oh, yeah. How about a 100-year-old? Mm-hmm. Man. Oof. And I think Wayne Newton is still kicking. He is, yeah. I think. <laughs> I think he got kicked out of Branson, though. Oh, did he? he did? I didn't know that. I don't want to spread false rumors, but I thought he did. Hmm. I thought he was, I don't know, too risque. At any rate, Debbie Monterey, we're bringing you in here today because you have a gift predicament. <laughs> I saw this on the socials. Yes. What happened? Uh, okay. Well, this was... 
I, I just started, since the holidays are upon us again, I just started thinking about something that really miffed me mm-hmm. last Christmas. Um, and this is, I'm, I'm not telling tales on my family. None of them are listening. <laughs> so, and I love them all very much. Um, but we don't have that big of a family. So when I, you know, spend the holidays with my family, it's usually maybe a dozen of us. So, you know, a dozen people buying a dozen presents for people, it does still get to be a lot of gifts. And mm-hmm. so, sure. so for several years, we had been kicking around this idea of why don't we just, since we're all grown ups, just pull names and everyone will buy a gift for one person. So finally, last year, we made it happen. We all agreed that we would draw a name and then you would just buy one gift for that one person. And we had a, I think it was 65 or $75 limit. So you could buy a decent gift for one person. And I was so excited about this because I don't really like shopping and I'm not a great gift giver. And anyway, you know how you always end up with a ton of stuff that you don't want or need and you don't know what to do with it. It just seems so wasteful. So I was like, this is a great idea. And my niece even went as far as to find some app where you put people's names in, a randomizer, and it sends you a secret link so no one knows. It was really cool. Anyway, we show up at my sister's house on Christmas and I come in with my one gift and then other people are walking in with boxes and sackfuls of gifts like they had just done loaded Santa's sleigh and I stood there like oh no what is happening uh I thought we were just buying one gift for one person and no one shamed me but they were like Debbie you know but we love uh, I really wanted to get something for so and so and you know I saw this and it was great and the, you know but, we just love see, that's give- wrong I know that's like that's like telling you that that we're gonna have a uh, Halloween costume party and then you show up you know dressed like uh, uh Marie Antoinette and then nobody else is right. in a costume. I'm like, but we all agreed. We yeah. all agreed that this is what we would do. So I'm sitting there with my one gift while there is just, you know, this orgy of presents underneath the tree. And I I was mad. Yeah. I was a little I was a little miffed. Yeah. So I'm not spending the holiday this year with my family, unfortunately. So I won't have to deal with that. Because I I thought if I do go home for Christmas, like what am I going to say to them? Are we going to do this again? Yeah. Because I don't mm-hmm. trust any of them now. <laughs> no. They've thrown you under the bus. Right. Well, okay, Brad, has your wife ever said in your entire relationship, you don't need to get me anything. Don't get me anything. Don't get me anything big. And if she did say that, did you believe her? Uh, well, I, you put me in a spot because I don't know if my wife is listening. <laughs> so I'm choosing my words extremely carefully. Um, I don't recall that she's ever said that, but I think I would have the understanding to know that if she did, that that would not necessarily be 100% true. Right. You would have to, you have to assume that they don't mean it. But that's a different situation between a husband and wife Mm -hmm. than the situation that you described, Mm -hmm. Debbie, because in that situation, I would have done exactly what you did. If we all agreed to buy one gift, that's what you do. That's what we agree right. to. And then when everyone else went hog wild with the gifts, uh, they were even though they may not have been saying anything, their actions were gift shaming you. Right. I and, felt really shamed, even though they were being nice about it. See, but it was breaking you, an agreement. You yes. shouldn't be shamed because maybe each one of them, maybe they didn't collude. Maybe they each one of them thought individually, I'm going to be the hot shot here. Everyone else is going to bring one gift. I'm going to bring... 15, mm-hmm. and then I'll look really good and nice and be like, oh, 
I just couldn't help myself. And everybody thought that except for you. You played by the rules. I did. I am a rule follower. Yeah. I admit that. <laughs> I, especially when the rules save me money. Exactly. And time. But also because I put a lot of thought into the gift that I was buying for that one person. Yeah. Because since it was just one gift, I was like, okay, I'm going to really think about this. I'm going to really give a good gift. And then it really all got lost because the person I was giving the gift to also had... Hmm you know, 10 other gifts. So it it didn't even have the same impact. Right. And, but now you could have come back and said, well, I actually, the reason why I only brought one gift is because for all of you, I bought goats for a starving village (laughs) in Africa. And uh, I'm still waiting on the receipt of the picture of the, of the kids with the goats. Uh, That's what I'm waiting for. Okay. I'll use that next time. The human fund (laughs) from Seinfeld. Thank you, Debbie Monterey. Debbie Monterey. Brad Young sitting in with me. I'm Amy Mark Scores. This is the Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. Well, congratulations to Chris in our listening audience. He was the fifth caller he has one pair of tickets to see Death Leopard and Journey at Bush Stadium on July 6th. So thanks for listening, Chris, and congratulations. And Amy, I, I got to tell you, hearing the Death Leopard bumper coming in, yep. uh, it reminded me of the time when I had hair. It really <laughs> did. You know, I, I was just imagining a time when I could uh, flip my head and uh-huh. the hair would go. Yeah. And I had hair down on my shoulders in college. And, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Playing drums in a rock band. And uh, uh, it's reminded me of a good time when I had, actually had hair. Nice. Okay. I don't want to be too personal. <laughs> what What year did you stop having hair? What year? Uh, the year I stopped having hair <laughs> was probably uh, first year college. Uh, 1984. Okay. Up until then, yeah, I was playing in a rock band and had hair down to the shoulders. That's pretty impressive. No. Pretty impressive. Well, speaking of impressive, Brad, well, should we bring in our next impressive guest who always joins us on yes. Fridays, there, Mike Claiborne? No greater person is mean, impressive as Mike Claiborne. That's exactly right. Hello, Claibs. We got to start finding other people for you all to start hanging out with. No, no, no. You can't play this down because I know you were at the winter meetings in Nashville and there was no one, I guarantee you, having uh, as many drinks and shaking hands and hobnobbing with the uh, with the big boys as you. Well, you know, for, for me, it's kind of like homecoming because it's the first time you see all your colleagues since the season is over. And, you know, you're catching up on this and catching up on that and, uh, uh, it's a good time for everybody to convene, although I'm not sure if that hotel was the right place because it was so massive. You know, people were getting lost. I know one guy who checked into his hotel room. Mm-hmm. He didn't get to his room for a half an hour. He couldn't <laughs> find it. What hotel was it? It's the Gaylord in the Opryland. Oh. Was there alcohol it's, it's, involved? No, he just, oh, he I just, just got there. Because I've seen people that now, can't find their hotel rooms, but it's due I'm to alcohol. I'm sure there were some people that, that had that problem later that night, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not not in the middle of the daytime. Yeah. But, yeah, it got lost. Hmm. Did you have any good conversations while you were there? Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you see everybody. I mean, everybody from the commissioner on down shows up at this thing. And when they talk about winter meetings, it means all the other departments within a baseball team whether it's the equipment manager or the traveling secretary or the PR department or the sales department. I mean, every department is represented. So you have all of these people from every team there. So it's a good time to catch up and see people and, and try and figure out what we're going to do in 2024. Well, 
uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you this because you're going to get a lot of questions about uh, who's going to be making what moves and and who's going to be going where. And, and those are excellent questions, and I'm not degrading them. But but when you go to the winter meetings, what impresses you about the, the organization? Because uh, the winter meetings are a massive undertaking. And just from putting all of this together, what impresses you when you go to a meeting like that? Well, it used to be the organization. This year, it was a little scattered as far as the way MLB set it up. But it is uh, an undertaking, and there's a lot of information available. And it's also a job fair for young, aspiring people who want to get into the game. Uh, and they have very, virtually every position available. And you, uh, you know kids are looking for jobs because they all have on the navy blue sport jacket and the khaki pants. And uh, they're, they're there, and they set up, and they get interviewed by just about everybody. You have every agent. You have every equipment manufacturer there. I mean, again, it covers a whole gamut of the game. Hmm. All right. Well, kind of buried the lead here, I did at least, with uh, some reporting by MLB Network's John Morosi, superstar yeah. free agent Shohei Otani's decision is, quote, imminent. So imminent. Yeah, he, I saw that. Yeah, he could pick a team as early as, well, today. I know Toronto Blue Jays, L.A. Dodgers are front runners. What do you th- what do you think is going to happen? I think it's the Angels, hmm. and, and here's why: he he wants total autonomy, from what I'm told. He's familiar with the organization. They have some some quality players. They have a new manager. There's some guys in that team he really likes being around, uh, and I really think they're going to end up with him because they already know who he is. So if he goes to Chicago or L- to the Dodgers or one of those other teams, they're going to have him doing a lot of media and doing a lot of things that he doesn't like doing. He just wants to play, wants to play baseball. So I'm going to put my money on the Angels, uh, and we'll see where it goes from there. I mean, and, and it's going to be a lot of money. But here's the thing that I, I think people miss Luke mis- mis- Reed. He, is, he was already making money in Japan. So this isn't like he's trying to hit a home run. He's already hit a home run. He's on every billboard, every commercial in Japan. So this isn't necessarily a big money grab. I just think he wants to be happy. But it could be the biggest contract in MLB history, right? For this year. Yeah. Yeah. For this year. But then, I, I but, think... then but then Mike, you know, there's a, I, I heard two rich people talking one time. <laughs> and seriously, we were at a party, I heard these two rich people talking and one person said to the other person, and this is not just a joke, but they said, you know, there's your money, but then there's my money. And so, meaning that you know, even among rich people, there's a different strata. It isn't isn't this going to be, as Amy suggested, a different strata compared to anything anything that he may have been making in Japan? Uh, it'll be different, but you know what? This happens on an annual basis. There's always somebody breaking the bank the next year. Uh, so it'll be good for this year. I, I guarantee you. When Juan Soto is up after this year playing for the New York Yankees, I'm sure that Juan Soto will be making comparable money. So you just have to just look back and just say, all right, yeah, you're right as far as them throwing money around. They all have it. Uh, It's just a matter of how they want to spend it. And so, you know, good for Otani and anybody else who can make the money. I mean, I don't know if I want to be Shohei Otani or John Rahm who's reportedly going to sign a deal for three years for $300 million. Right. But what I'm hearing from you, Mike, is that with Otani, it's not just about money, that there are other issues he likes, at play he likes here. He likes being happy. Yeah. He likes being happy. 
um, and they've allowed him to do his thing. It doesn't intrude on anyone else. He just likes playing the game. And, you know, he kind of does things his way, and they've allowed him to do it. So for him to go somewhere else and then go by a different set of rules, that may not work. So is no one really that concerned about Tommy John's surgery and the fact that he won't pitch in 2024? No. I mean, we've seen more guys that were better after Tommy John compared to what they were before Tommy John. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty regular procedure. But the bottom line is this, Amy, he can still swing the bat, and swinging the bat is how he's going to make a living also. Is he worth every dollar, even if, I mean, I know it sounds like he's going to pitch and be if fine. If somebody can pay him, he's worth it. Yeah. That's how you have to look at it. You know, me personally, I would probably think twice only because he, he's often an injury. You know, he, he, he doesn't play as many games as you would hope for him to. So I think I have to take that into account. But, you know, we're talking about a guy who's going to draw a lot of people to your ballpark. Let's. You brought up whether he's pitching or not. Yeah, yeah. No, I. I do you think there's going to be a decision today? Oh, I don't know. Um, John Morosi's pretty good at what he does, mm-hmm. and and he wouldn't have rolled that one out there if he didn't think something was was cooking. Uh, so you know, maybe the weekend. You know, and that's and maybe that's how Otani is. He might announce it on Saturday morning when nobody's paying attention. You mentioned he's not looking for the limelight. Yeah. You mentioned John Rahm. I kind of want to go back to that for a second because that's a pretty big deal that John Rahm's leaving the PGA, going to the Live Golf Tour, number one in wins, number one in top five finishes, number one in top 10 finishes since he turned pro in 2016. What does this mean for the PGA moving forward? The PGA better figure it out quick. Because they they were in an agreement with Liv to get this thing resolved by the end of the year, and it's not been resolved. I'm of the belief that Liv is going to have a U.S. partner, some investment firm, to be their forerunner for what they can do business here in the states. Because you know Congress has already shaken their cage a couple of times. But if you have an American investment in this as well from some investment firm, I think you're going to see the PGA have to scramble because they can't compete with Liv as far as money's concerned. They're sitting on trillions of dollars. Okay, well, so this is a walk in the park for them. It, you're you you're keep, right but, there. But when you look at all the players that they're getting from that tour, PGA can't compete. So they've lost their leverage uh, uh, by allowing Rom to go and not getting this deal cemented. Liv has the, has the PGA by the, by the throat. I was going to use another part of the anatomy, but you, you know where I'm going with this. They they have them right where they want them, and this thing has been calculated in a very interesting manner because, you know, Liv starts playing in February. So they are setting their ducks up in a row, and John Rahm will have his own team, and when you think about other players he can recruit to play on his team, it's going to really give this league uh, the credibility it needs. And then if you're a TV network, you have to think about this. You know, if if they have all the good players, do we need to stay with – the PGA, or do we need to try and make sure we have the good players on TV every week? We're, we're of course, talking to legend Mike Claiborne. And, uh, and Mike, you, you were discussing this PGA issue, but I just read this past week that, that Saudi Arabia funded, I believe, to the tune of a billion dollars, uh, some, a soccer league, and there were a total of 
254 people that showed up for a soccer match. So is, is, well, isn't there they're, more? They're not keen on marketing. They're not keen on marketing and ticket sales, you know, but they don't care. They just want to have a footprint. So I guess that's my question is when you look at this dispute between Liv and the PGA, obviously the, the, the Liv's got the money, but there's, isn't there more to it at the end of the day than simply the money? I would say yes to that, but they don't care. They just want to seat at the, at the sports table and they'll figure the rest of it out because they can go out and hire people for marketing. They can rest away a TV network to put their, their events on TV uh, because all they have is money to burn. Hmm. So um, they're a player, and we better get used to it. Again, I think there'll be an American investment somewhere down the road. But right now, um, they're they're in a catbird seat, and PGA is scrambling, and they, they can't come even close to amassing the kind of money that it's going to take. So they're going to have to play ball with these guys. Klaibs, thanks so much. What do you, you got any good plans this weekend? Well, I'm at the one, two, three luncheon that we have here. I'm sitting next to Tom Ackerman. He and I are going to be talking to people in the crowd. It's one of my favorite events of the year. Nice. And then a couple of other events over the weekend and uh, just get ready for next week and get closer to the holiday. Well, Claves, watch yourself. That Tom Ackerman's a real troublemaker. I've been alerted to Tom Ackerman's activities <laughs> and I'm well aware of them. Thanks. That is Mike Claiborne joining us as he always does on a Friday. Thanks, Mike. Brad Young sitting in with me for Chris Ranji, who's who knows what he's doing out and about. Uh, he's with his other family in Chicago. That's exactly right. That's See, what he's everybody doing this knows this. I don't know how we don't talk about it more. The wife and kids, Ranj, hope they're doing well up in Chicago, the secret family. Hey, Scott Jagow from the newsroom, he's going to join us. He's got a roaming St. Louis. He's been roaming St. Louis, plus his three good things. It's all next on the Chris and Amy show on KMOX. It is the Chris and Amy show on KMOX with Brad Young and Scott Jagow from the newsroom. He's been roaming St. Louis and swung on by Studio B. How are you, Scott? I'm doing good. I've been roaming a little bit, yeah. What have you got for us? Well, this week I went to uh, Take Root Hospitality, which is a couple. They started at Tara and Michael Galino about five, six years ago. Uh, they opened Vasia, mm-hmm. the restaurant that's in the Cortex Innovation District. And the interesting thing about Vasia is it doesn't have a menu. There is no menu. It's kind of just like a food experience that you have to just go and they will hook you up with a great meal. But hmm. there's no nothing to look at in terms of the menu. Uh, so they started with Vasia and they have since opened three other restaurants. One of them is a diner slash bakery, Winslow's Table. Mm-hmm. Most people know that one. Yep. Uh, they also, during the nice uh, wet weather, the summer months, they do Taqueria Merida outside of Vasilla. So it's a Mexican restaurant, but it's all outside. And then the final one is in Clayton, and that is a bistro, a French bistro. So uh, these guys are really doing well. And I was just amazed at... Michael, Mm -hmm. he became a chef in midlife, and Aaron, one of his executive chefs, also did the same thing. Michael went out to San Francisco, very expensive city. Mm -hmm. He said he was bunk beds because he couldn't afford it, but he, you know, took the the shot to become a chef in the middle of his life, and it's worked out really well. Now he has four restaurants in St. Louis. 
But but Basia though, what it's impressive about that to me, Scott, is that I, I always like to go through Ian Frobe's list of restaurants mm-hmm. on the Post Dispatch, and Basia is is right now ranking at third on his list of wow. the top 100 restaurants in St. Louis, hmm. and so uh, that says something. If you're going to be in the top 10, and Basia has made it, absolutely, I didn't know that. How does that how does it work with not having a menu? Are there seatings, or can you just walk in? You do need a reservation, okay. but you can just walk in and maybe sit at the bar. Okay. They do have a bar. You are able to do that. But in terms of a table, you're going to need a reservation. But, yes, they have seatings, and then, like I said, there isn't really a menu. It's just everyday changes. They do mm. seafood. They do steaks. They do all kinds of stuff. And uh, talking to these guys, I mean, Aaron and Michael, they really know food and <laughs> It's pretty uh, fun to chat with somebody who knows food that well. What did either of them do before they became chefs if they didn't become chefs until later in life? You know, I don't know what Michael did. Aaron, uh, I don't know what either of them did, to be honest. <laughs> uh, Aaron, his background is his his family heritage is a combination of Spanish, French, and Mexican. Okay. Which, for food, that's a pretty good <laughs> combination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes from Southern California, and so he's brought some of the flavors of California to St. Louis in terms of like fish tacos and things like that. So mm, That sounds really good. I'm I also know. super hungry. Now I'm getting really hungry. All right. What about three good things? So this week I had the pleasure, the honor of getting to speak at an event at the History Museum where Johnny Rabbit was doing his last sort of show. Mm. I don't know if show is the right word. His last event where he's uh, talking about St. Louis broadcasting and the history of it and yeah. So it was the final one, and I could not believe the crowd. It was incredible. Really? That's awesome. The place awesome. was packed. Yes. I've, Every I've been to those single before. seat. I've Every been to seat. them before. Yeah, they're, they're overflowing because uh, uh, Johnny Rabbit does such a great job of putting together that type of program, and people are drawn to it. Yeah. Peter Mayer, the former mm-hmm. CBS White House correspondent, was there. He lives in Granite City now. He's retired. Uh, he's a huge KMOX fan, by the way. Um uh, so he spoke and did a presentation, and then uh, Ed Wheatley mm-hmm. talked about the history of sports broadcasting in St. Louis, talking about KTVI and KMOX, and he went through all the names of the broadcasters. That was fun to uh, hear about those. And then uh, I did a little presentation about my segments, uh, Roaming St. Louis and Three Good Things. Yeah, so, excellent. Yeah, Ed Wheatley, he's also the... Uh expert historian on the St. Louis Browns. Yes. Yeah. One of my roaming St. Louis segments previously was the exhibit. I got to see it before it even opened. Yeah. Which was the is the uh, St. Louis Browns exhibit that is near the stadium. So one of my very, very best friends, her maiden name was Pruitt, and she is the granddaughter of Hub Pruitt, who was a pitcher for the St. Louis Browns. Hmm. And they... <laughs> And I like helped homeschool her kids, right? Like this is like my second family, basically. And they would always talk about her grandpa, their great grandfather, Hub Pruitt, who allegedly would strike out Babe Ruth. He would strike out Babe Ruth. And, you know, that was the story they were always told. And a few years ago, maybe three or four years ago, there were some tapes that were uncovered in the mm. archives of a university. And it was old time, like, the boys over there are fighting the war. And it was one of those old timey interviews. And they were interviewing Babe Ruth. And they asked him about pitching. And they said, what about the toughest pitcher you ever faced? And he's, and it's Babe Ruth. And he goes, well, 
there was a pitcher by the name of Hub Pruitt who played oh, in St. Yeah. Louis. And he's like, I couldn't hit him. And I knew he wouldn't last long because of the way he threw. And he didn't last long, but I could never hit him. And that was one of the mm. coolest moments where a family legend, not that they didn't think it was true, but you know how family legends are? A family legend was verified by Babe Ruth himself. Mm. And so I know the St. Louis Browns, so much history there. I have a friend whose great uncle or grandfather was the pitcher that ended uh, Joe DiMaggio's hitting streak. <laughs> wow. What, How about that? What, yeah, that, that's, a, that's, that's a feat. That's a feat and, to be proud of. Oh, my of. gosh. There's a movie. Um, what is it? Murder One. What is it? It's got Kevin Bacon in it where he plays the inmate. Oh, it's so good. First, Murder in the First. Murder in the First. There is a scene, and I believe they made it up because I cannot find that tape where it's uh, the pitcher, you can hear it on the radio, mm -hmm. the end of uh, DiMaggio's hitting streak, you know, the pitcher winding up and all that. I have tried for years to find that, and I don't think it exists. I think they created it for the movie. Mm. But oh, it's, really? Yeah, because I can't find that tape, and it's a friend of mine, and her uh, great-uncle or grandfather uh, was the pitcher that ended the streak. So, oh, my um, gosh. I've always been looking for that. Well, look at I, maybe you can make that a... Uh expand roaming st louis where you're literally roaming to find that tape yeah <laughs> you're like he's looking to be I'm like no, i don't that. think so it's over scott J. Gow, thank you so much people can hear you saturday sunday yep saturday and sunday sunday morning uh eight o'clock and nine o'clock hours was when you'll hear most of the segments excellent thanks scott brad young sitting in with me more of the show with chris and amy after the news Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 